Misty, thank you so much for coming to join me on the My Whim Life show. So first of all, my first question is always, tell me a little bit about you. Well, first of all, I'm so excited to be here. One, because you're a fabulous human. And I just love sharing stories with you. So this just excites me to no end. Um, A little bit about me. I am... Uh, gosh, I am a complicated human. Let's start there. So, <laughs> Those are the best kind. They're my favorite. <laughs> yeah. So I'm a mom, first of all, a wife. I have six children, uh, one grandchild and two more on the way. Twins are on the way. Um, so super excited about that. It is true. Grandparenting is the reward for parenting. <laughs> And I am a death doula, an interfaith reverend, author, speaker, and I talk on all things forgiveness. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, I'm lucky enough to know you on a little more personal level. So I've met, I think, half of your children, (laughs) not the other half, but uh, I've gotten to see them in pictures and stuff. So uh, you're kind of like me. We have, you know, the, the combined family, the big, the big group. Um, so we've got between us, we've got seven. So I totally, totally get how that feels. <laughs> so tell me, of course, first, because you know, everyone that's watching this is like, did she just say death doula? Yeah. Yes, yep, I she did. She did. Tell me a little bit more about what that looks like. Well, lots of times we hear doula, and especially us women, we think about birth doula. And a birth doula is a coach for someone who is going to have a baby, right? Well, death doula think of the exact same thing, except it's on the other end of life. Instead of bringing life in, it's helping usher life out. And it's to be a coach for a person who is, yes, dying, and lots of times working with hospice. And we work with not just the patient, but also the family. And different than hospice, the death doula actually spends more time with the family, which has changed a lot in how hospice used to be run. Hospice is an amazing, I cannot say enough things nice about hospice, but one of the things that has happened in our society is that most hospice are not non for not for profit, they are for profit run by hospitals and stuff, and they do amazing jobs. But in turn, their time with families has changed. They usually have more patients, kind of like our doctor, right? Everything has changed in the medical community and hospice is one of the things. So uh, death doula is privately funded by the family to come in and sit alongside them through the process. So we've all been into a place where a physician or somebody will tell us something and we're a little bit in shock and we don't understand and then they leave (laughs) and then what? right? We're trying to remember what they said, understand what they said. And at this very special time in someone's life, um, all the family and friends that are around, it can get very confusing. So a death doula helps keep the family on the path, helps them understand what's going on. But also more importantly is that death doula works with the person who's actually dying. And I always like to talk about the elephant in the room. Even if somebody is in hospice and has a terminal disease, um, it's very rare that you find families who are, hey, let's just chat about this. You know, they just don't want to do it. Right. And so I help 
um, the person dying have those important conversations and I help um, facilitate between family, understand what it is that they want, what they don't want, which is also just as important. And then after they pass, um, I help the family with the funeral. And even, I'm also certified in grief recovery, so I actually help the family with the grief. And wouldn't it be amazing to have somebody helping you with grief that actually knew your person? Mm-hmm. So that's, in a nutshell, what I do as a death doula. Yeah, which I, you know, I can tell you, uh, you know, when, when my dad passed last year, we, we really just had a hospice. We, you know, while we knew he was going, I don't think any of us had an idea how fast that was going to happen. Um, it it just happened a lot faster than than we thought it would. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know, a bunch of us were on our way to go visit him that day when we got the call from mom saying that he had that he had passed that morning. Um, you know, so but I definitely can see the value. Uh, luckily, our family's you know faith and belief is really, really, really strong in that we knew he was going to a better place um, and he had been pretty miserable. So, uh, you know, but I can definitely, definitely see the value of having that extra person in there really kind of facilitating what they want, being able to be open enough to listen. Cause I know some of us really weren't open to that at the time. Um, and so, yeah, I just, just, it's so fascinating, fascinating. And I'm I just, can't you know i'm i'm super grateful that there are people out there like you that would be willing to take that spot cuz it can't be an easy position to be in well you know it's not one that i thought i would be choosing either let's be super clear about that sure. right you know i never thought back when i was a, in nursing that i would end up being a death and dying girl like that's yeah. what i'm like oh i talk about death and dying and people are like what and you know, it's just that life led me there. Not only did I work in pediatric oncology, so with cancer kids, mm-hmm. but and and saw um, children pass, which is just beyond painful. And I and then on top of it, lived through many deaths of my own. So uh, my my father, my sister, my older brother, um, then my mother, then a best friend, and then my twin brother took his own life. And I think that was one of the um, more intense ones because he was still young. Um, He, you know, it just was a surprise. Nobody knew. There's a stigma on top of everything when it comes to suicide. So there was just a whole bunch more. And by the way, Wendy, he was kind of a jerk. (laughs) So, you know, then there's like these mixed feelings of anger, sadness, unfulfilled expectations that he would ever be the person I really wanted him to be. And um, so all of that happened. And so I started working with hospice in regards to my forgiveness work. And it just, all of it just led one right after another into death doula. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. So you you brought up again the the forgiveness work. I can imagine that both being a death doula and working with others on forgiveness is very meshed together. So yeah. talk about what kind of work you're doing in the forgiveness field. Field. Another thing I had not planned on. You know, I keep making plans. God laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> so yeah. ultimately, I went back to, it's like my second career, I decided to go into seminary. And I really thought I would be working with hospice, but I 
I didn't know quite how, but at the end of seminary, my mother passed um, with Alzheimer's dementia and she was, oh, she was a fun woman, fun at a party, not necessarily as your mother. But um, so she, when she passed, that was definitely pretty deep. And then just a few months after that, my twin brother took his life. Mm-hmm. And I was stuck with this real grief, which I knew grief, I got grief, right? I understood the grief thing, but yeah. I didn't understand why I was so darn ticked off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and sad and all the things and it really came down to that anger and pain that I had because he never was the brother he was supposed to be like he was supposed to be my twin brother we were supposed to have like twin telepathy or something never happened and ultimately when he took his life it left me with pain and sadness unfulfilled expectations and even <sighs> guilt lots of guilt. And so ultimately, I really had just gotten out of seminary, I was feeling quite shiny, you know, really shiny. And you know, all ordained and things. I'm sure I glowed when I walked around. And ultimately, I didn't have the answer. Wasn't I supposed to have the answer, Mm -hmm. right? Because I just done all this deep study for years, I should get this. Ultimately, I didn't. So I went back to the mode of deep study. And I started deeply looking at what forgiveness is and is not. And that was big for me because I had it all confused, like most of us do, like forgive and forget. Well, elephants and people, we don't forget. And there's a very good reason for that. We need to learn from our past mistakes. Anyways, ultimately, I went through this forgiveness process on my own. And I was talking to a group of friends and I brought it up and it was like, a can of worms came popping open and everybody had somebody they didn't like and was really upset about. It was usually family or it was an ex, very common. Mm -hmm. So um, it really, I gave one talk on it after that and the place was packed. And I was like, well, this is a thing. And I decided that this should be a book. And sure enough, I got picked up by a publisher, wrote a book called The Forgiveness Solution, the step-by-step process to let it go. And it's a different take on how other forgiveness books are written. I read them all and they're all very deep and lots of us don't like that kind of stuff. I do, but that doesn't mean everybody else does. And I kind of like humor too. So I tossed it all into a book. I trademarked an algorithm, which is a, process to solve a problem and boom all of a sudden I'm talking about forgiveness everywhere (laughs) I love it I love it so much Uh, that's definitely something that is on my you know very lengthy growing to read list (laughs) if you know anything about me I read like a crazy person Uh, typically try to get through at least a book every couple of weeks but that list of good books is real long (laughs) And it's awesome. And and that's me. My husband always jokes about, oh, please, another book isn't coming into the house, is it? And then audiobooks has saved me a little bit. But um, ultimately, I thought I was the only one dealing with this really bad anger and pain. And I wasn't. And when you're talking to somebody who is dying, a very common comment is, I wish so-and-so would forgive me. It's usually a child or an ex or the current somebody, or I wish I could forgive myself. Yeah, that, that one is, oh. Oh, it's, yeah. And so ultimately in hospice and in other places where people have patients or clients, they use tools for different 
things, um, meditation, that kind of stuff. Well, I have a tool to help them understand what forgiveness is and is not and how to get there, how to really get there, to shift the expectations. And I teach hospice providers and others how to do that also in other fields, um, criminal justice, um, adoption, all that kind of stuff. Any place that you have an expectation of how things are going to go, and when it doesn't go that way, you're usually left with unforgiveness. And so I teach people how to shift and learn from that and let go of that pain and anger. And I know Disney sings it. I will not (laughs) (laughs) save you. I will save you. But (laughs) ultimately letting it go, what does that really mean? And that's probably the number one thing I do is clear that up because people think that for a religious connotation, they're supposed to forgive and, you know, let the person back in their life. And Jesus never said forgive give and invite him over for dinner. He didn't. He said, turn the other cheek, learn your lesson, don't walk in it again. But there we are. We walk right back in it over and over and over again. So it's about learning what you can control and what you can't control. And then darn it with my brother, for example, when I realized his story and I knew his story pretty closely, I grew up with him, right? We both lived through the same alcoholic craziness of our family. And I had zero empathy for him because I overcame it. Why didn't he? Instead, he turned into that person we used to hide from. So ultimately, I had to learn how to have empathy for him look at him as a child look at him as somebody who's so injured and in so much pain and then all of a sudden i also became much prouder of myself because you know it is a choice you do make choices over and over again but when that empathy snuck in for him forgiveness was much easier now that doesn't let him off the hook it doesn't mean all the bad things he ever did doesn't matter no it matters and all those things but you can see it differently so i wish i would have forgiven him when he was alive because no i wouldn't be having him over for dinner and there would still be boundaries beyond boundaries fences around my life but i would have been kinder so unforgiveness caused me to be less kind yeah yeah, I absolutely, totally can see exactly how that would play out. It's so important to really kind of take that opportunity to take the step back and evaluate things from another perspective, reframe what's happened uh, with the possibility of what they have coming in as a as that little buffer there and, and really, really take that, that look at it. Because you take less personal stock, like it's not happening to you personally, right? And that was the thing. I was like, my brother ruins everything. We can't get together as a family because there better be police outside, you know, that kind of thing. And then ultimately, when I realized he wanted the same thing, he wanted love and acceptance, the way he handled his pain and anger was not acceptable. And I'm still sad about it. That's the other myth about forgiveness, that if you forgive, you're never going to be sad about it again. That's not true. (laughs) Or that it lets them off the hook. I always say it doesn't let them off the hook. You still get legal justice if that's what needs to happen and social consequences if Mm -hmm. people are jerks fyi don't let them in your life it's just the way it is 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. But some of those boundaries are very interesting. Like I, that's not having boundaries has never been an issue for me. I've always been like, yep, you're done. Like, I like I don't I don't have to be mad at you anymore. I can let go of the mad, but I I just don't need I don't need any of that energy in my life. So I'm pretty good. But I've definitely seen um, my kids or other family members be hurt by other people, and they just can't oh they can't let it go, and it drives huge sections of their life without being able to forgive. And lots of times when we have an ex um, and there's kids involved or actually anybody that you somehow have to continue to have a relationship with, Mm -hmm. we pick up unforgiveness again and again. But I give the tools to check yourself because it's a simple question. Does the person have the will or the skill to meet your expectation? You know, I think it was Oprah, whatever. I know she's my (laughs) she's my spirit animal. But ultimately, I think it was her that said, you know. Uh, people show you who they are, believe them. Yes. Right. So it's somewhat like that. So yes, you do that. But then ask yourself, do they have the will to meet my expectation? Well, first of all, do they even know my expectations? So even with an ex, you might be screaming your expectation at them, but they, they don't have the will. They plain old don't want to or they don't have the skill. They're not able to be the good parent at the thing that you see they could be. So lots of people, especially, and this is really common in parents who leave, like like have the kid, they think that whatever, and then they leave, is the parent starts out with the will. I know you can even see it. They're holding the baby, they have the fantasy, perfect children, you know, they're thinking doctor, lawyer, and then you know, real life hits and they either have addiction issues or they had a bad upbringing. They didn't have good teachers themselves and they literally don't have the DNA to do it. They don't have the skill. So they lose their will. And that's probably one of the biggest shifts I get from people when I asked them, does this person that you have this expectation of have the will to meet it? Do they want to? And then I'm like, no, they don't want to. Or yeah, they want to, but they don't have the skill. Well, that's good news because if they really want to, they can get the skill, but you, so you present it differently, which changes things altogether. And then when you want to forgive yourself and you brought that up, you know, because yeah. that is something, who's the hardest person on you? Yeah. Always me. Always, always me. me. Always me. Oh, criticize all day, all day long. <laughs> so ultimately, when we do make mistakes in our life, and last time I checked, not one human is perfect. We all make mistakes and they come sometimes accidentally. Sometimes we do things we know we're causing drama, but we don't stop ourselves. Um, we say things and then we're like, oh, you know, and, and then we feel bad about ourselves. Right. Totally. All, Ultimately, um, a little tip without running anybody through the algorithm is just ask yourself, would you ever do this again intentionally? I usually get a big no. Well, did you learn something from it? Oh my gosh, oh, I learned this and this and that. Great news, then forgive yourself. Right, it's time to let go and walk away, move on. Move on. And there are some other things about how to apologize, what a good apology looks like, what a bad apology looks like. They usually have a butt in them. And so ultimately, I teach all those skills so that we can live happier, healthier lives and have better relationships. Oh, I love that so, 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 so much. Uh, and I think a lot of people just, um, 
either either they really want that, but they don't know how to even start that process, um, or they just feel like it's going to get icky before they'll feel better, which is really not the case. Like you can walk yourself through forgiveness without getting in the deep muck and the mire of it. That like it's not necessary to go that far uh, in order to get through that forgiveness. Now that obviously depends on what kind of forgiveness, who that's with, how long has it been going on. I think there's a lot of uh, caveats to that, but uh, especially with stuff with myself, you know, like if I forgot to do something for a client. Literally, that will bother me for days or weeks on end before I'm like, you know what? I went back and I apologized to them. They don't have a problem with it. Everything's fine. I need to let it go and, and forgive myself for being human of human. all things. Wendy, you're human. I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimately, that is absolutely the truth. We really need to forgive ourselves for making mistakes. And you handled it perfectly. You went back, you apologized, you acknowledged your mistake. You didn't use an excuse. You're like, I totally messed this up. Right. And then and then I'm sure I know Wendy well enough. I can say that she's probably tried to make amends. You oh, know, yes. say, well, how can I fix this type of thing? And that's really uh, an apology is super healing. But the problem with our society and there's a lot of studies that back it up that say we need an apology to forgive someone. We need them to change. I know that's where I was, um, both with my family members and, and my twin brother, maybe an ex or two. And so ultimately, when I realized I didn't need the apology and why, it, it also opened up a whole nother thing. Oh, wow, this is amazing. I don't need the apology and I don't need them to change. And that's kind of where our society has really tangled it all up. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. There was um, there's a quote, and I have no idea who said it. I tried to research and uh, and never found an you know a solid source. Uh, but it's something that circulated repeatedly. Something I posted years ago, and it's I had to forgive someone who wasn't sorry, and that is my strength. And it's just oh, that is one of the most Ooh, powerful. That's it's amazing. I haven't heard that one. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. I have not heard that one, um, but that is absolutely true. And it doesn't mean you're not going to be sad about it. Mm -hmm. And it also doesn't mean that you're right or wrong. Right. Yeah. So that's the other big piece. You can still forgive and be wrong. You can still be forgive and be right. And so we're desperate in our society to be right. We yeah. want to be right about everything, whether it be what we eat, what who we vote for, who we don't vote for, what where we live, we are what sports team. We are the rightest of the right. And <laughs> Um, we will scream it at our top of our lungs. But the problem with that is that if we're right, then somebody else is always wrong. Right. And right. So <laughs> ultimately, that is what causes conflict. And so when you start to see where people come in their space and their place, it kind of can change that right or wrong. It doesn't mean that you agree with them. Mm -hmm. Especially, I mean, politics is probably the number one thing I hear the most about and how we interact on social media and all the things because we're just screaming at each other. And last time I checked, 
No one's ever yelled at me for 20 minutes and had me change my mind or make 10 posts about their political views, right? So ultimately, if we could come a little closer and understand why that person comes from that space and that place, it helps a, a little bit more understanding come in and we don't get so darn angry. That doesn't mean we agree and we still would like to change your mind, but we're just a little bit nicer about it. So yeah. that's really the deal about a good apology and understanding where you went wrong. And also an apology, you, so this happens the most. People say an apology because they expect apology in return. Oh yeah. Which, which really is just another way to say, you're what? You're wrong. <laughs> yeah. So if I can admit to a little wrong, then you can admit to this big wrong I think you did. And so it becomes a competition again. So just so much oh, nitty gritty and all of that. And I love teaching it all. Yeah. Okay. So I have uh, another thought, a, kind of a, a flip on the whole apology. Okay. I know for um, the younger generation that are in their early 20s right now, so commonly I, they repeat, I'm sorry for everything all the time. I don't even know. Like, I'm like, but you're not, I try to teach my daughter. You're not actually sorry. Are you? You're just, you just don't want me to be mad at your choice. Like, that's not, that's not actually an apology. <laughs> Right, exactly. And where do you think all of the uh, those younger group get it from? I am not real. I'm honestly not really sure. It's let not tell language that I use. Yeah, let me tell you. So it starts on the playground and or even at home. So if we teach the kid, if they can say them sorry, I'm sorry, it the conflict will end. The thing will end mm -hmm. immediately. Like I'm out. And ultimately, um, it comes out so fast. And we've seen it in toddlers, right? Little kids, they hit the other kid. And they go, oh, sorry, move on. And then, or if the other kid gets pushed, the teacher comes up and says, you need to say you're sorry. And, and they do, yeah. but they don't really feel sorry. Right. So, so that's the problem is that we're really not teaching kids what forgiveness really is. What is that mean? And to own the real, I'm sorry, and understand that they have to not only apologize if they really believe they did something wrong and they need to make an amends. And that changes the apology all over the place. And if we could teach our kids that now, they will be better adults. Oh, I totally totally agree shifting gears just a little bit okay. i want to know because this is you know geared more towards entrepreneurs people who are, are doing startups things like that what are some of the habits that you have on a daily basis that you feel has led you to to succeeding and being able to uh, get through seminary, first of all, because that is not an easy feat, um, you know, and continue on uh, the path that you've gone on to uh, put yourself into business. My number one habit is making sure that the people around me are smarter than me. Mm. So I, let's put it this way. I am a personality who likes to talk, be in front of a crowd. My hands are waving and I'm having fun doing it. Yeah. But don't ask me to do numbers. Don't ask me to add something up. Don't ask me to make a spreadsheet 
gosh forbid, don't ask me to make a spreadsheet. <laughs> it's just not okay. So I make sure that I have people around me that I've hired people to do that work. Two reasons. One, they're better at it than me. Two, they're going to get it done so much faster than I ever would. So in turn, it frees up my time to do the things that I love. And I know we talk about strength finders all the time, but I like to live in my top 10. I don't like to live in my lower 20. So ultimately, if I can live there, I'm just a happier human. Yeah, I think that's a great solution. Great solution. <laughs> Do you, what are, what are your top five? Do you know them by the off top of your head? Well, of course I do. So <laughs> I'm a maximizer, number one. So I expect excellence, not only in myself, but in others. And then um, I have woo. So win others over. And I was in sales, by the way, before I went back to seminary, I was in sales. I can sell ice cube to a snowman and make the family purchase it if I believe in the ice cube. Yeah. Um, yeah, so then, so so it's a maximizer, woo, positivity, um, connectedness, ideation. So connectedness, I do believe we're all connected, right? And then um, ideation, oh, my poor husband. I have more ideas. It's like, you know the money gun that just money off the thing? That's how I am with ideas. I just spoot them out. I don't necessarily am married to them. Okay. I just like, oh, I have an idea for you and I, and then I'll maximize. Be careful. I'll maximize you and give you 10 <laughs> ideas you need to do today. So ultimately, yeah. So those are my, those are my top ones. I love it. I absolutely love it. So what are some of the non-negotiables in your life? Well, I talk about this in my book. So I broke my back 11 years ago and I didn't kind of break it. Like I broke my back and I've had three major surgeries and I'm what they call a chronic pain patient. So a non-negotiable for me is pain management. Mm -hmm. And that means that when I am having a bad pain day, that I have to excuse myself from appointments, reschedule, um, sit down and watch Netflix, because it's really about all I can do when the pain is it to that level. And um, just really getting good care in regards to that. And my husband's super kind, and everybody knows it's my back, just my back, oh, it's just my back, because they hear that all the time. Sure. <laughs> So, and I, it comes out under my breath and I don't even know that I do it. So ultimately that's my non-negotiable is that self-care around, around my physical being. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So with that, once, you know, once you do get in, you know, in your, in a state of not pain, mm -hmm. how do you move the needle and get that motor going again? Cause I know for a lot of people, like if they come, have to come to a halt for a reason it is so much harder to start the engine again right did did you hear that positivity is number three oh. yeah so it's not <laughs> number one but it is number three so i tend to like i'll i'll hide under the covers for the day but then i'm like good morning and my family's like oh my <laughs> uh. Yes, it's another morning and we can do it today and we didn't do it yesterday, but we'll do it today. And, and so definitely positivity is probably what gets me going. I love it. I love it. So another question for you on strength finders, just because I'm curious, do you know what your bottom three to five are? Yes, of course I do. Um, anything to do with paperwork. <laughs> Acumen is not my thing. So, um, 
that's pretty much it. So the the bottom five are all to do with um, organization and paperwork, that kind of thing. Minutia, yeah. the day-to-day yeah, minutia. Yeah, yeah. Not a thing, but yeah. I... Yeah. But to. I do overcome it. I reward myself. So that, I mean, I'm like, I was in sales. Give me a cookie. Like, just right. tell me. So if to, I, yeah, if I work on this for two hours, if I, I was just working on some workbooks for some corporate classes and I said, I give myself two hours, two hours. And then, oh, great. I get to talk to Wendy and then I'm going to do this and it's going to be fun. And, you know, so I have to give myself a reward system. I love it. I totally, totally love that. If you were going to give out one piece of advice for someone that was either about to write a book or they were going to start a business or whatever that that journey looks like, what would be your best advice? Uh, Research, research, research. I learned so much writing a book and doing it the traditional way uh, with a a publisher, that kind of stuff, versus self-publishing and all the things. Find what fits for you. Yeah. because it might not be um, self-publishing, it might be traditional publishing. Find what fits with you and then talk to everybody you know who's been successful at the thing that you wanna be successful at and learn from them. Ask them to be your mentor. In my life mentors, I love to find the people who are the best. Yeah, and I think it's remarkable how often that that someone that you admire or that's doing something that you want to do is more than willing to do that, but no one bothers to ask. They're too embarrassed or too shy or, you know, they just feel, you know, before the rejection ever comes, they just feel like that's going to happen. So they never bother to ask the question if they're if they're willing to do it. And even just getting a no doesn't mean that it's over. There are literally likely hundreds of people doing what you want to do. Find another one. Find another one that is willing because somebody's right. heart is open enough to share what you need to know. Absolutely. And I'm all about stalking. Sorry, yeah. it's true. <laughs> so if I find somebody who, and it's it's rare, actually, there's not too many forgiveness people out there, actually, but there are people who teach and preach and coach and, and do all the things and um, that I find are amazing, whether it be their website, how they communicate their classes, whatever it is. I'm not saying steal their ideas. I'm this right. reverence not saying that, but I am saying, I am saying that you can learn from them. I learned when I did my online classes that I, well, my maximizer in me couldn't have me do them from my office. It would have made me crazy. So I knew that because I know somebody else who filmed their class and I liked the way it looked. So I knew I would film my classes, actually professionally film them and what that meant to me. So just learn from others who have gone before you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, tell all of our listeners where they can find you. Where can we get the book and hear about more about the forgiveness solution? Sure. So mistytime.com and that's T-Y-M-E and yes, that's my name, Horses, Dogs and Strippers and this reverend, mistytime.com and you'll find free class. You'll find classes, uh, how to forgive your ex, how to forgive your family, exactly what we were talking about today kind of stuff. You can also book me for speaking events and all of that. And there's a whole bunch of fun, free downloads, all that kind of great stuff. That is awesome. And my very last question, how do you give back? Well, in a couple ways, but one of my favorite ways is Easter is my favorite holiday. Face it, it's religious. It's during the day. We get good food and a little candy, but it's a lot less work for us moms. 
yes. compared to Christmas. And I believe that the children are like, they fill me up. So I am, shh, don't tell, but I am Mrs. Easter Bunny. <laughs> I own my giant pink Easter Bunny outfit. So I not only do a kid's party, but I also go to senior um Alzheimer's units and that kind of stuff and I hop around and when you're hopping around it doesn't matter whether you're 8 or 80 your face lights up they want the little piece of candy there it's brings back wonderful memories so that's one of my very favorite ways oh I love it I love it so much and it's so different from anything else that I've heard so I just I just love that that idea and I can't wait to follow you around next Easter because, you know, that seems fun. <laughs> I do need a handler. Every year I have a different handler. So <laughs> I can't see. <laughs> I can't see. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I really, really, really appreciate you taking some time to come out and speak with me on the My Wim Life show. I love to collaborate and share my favorite people, the things, the people that inspire me on a daily basis with everyone else. So, and you are definitely great human material. Oh, so are you. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in to the My Wim Life show today. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a moment of the goodness.